when something goes wrong, when, when adversity strikes, and especially when we don't know why, if we don't have enough data to connect the dots to really explain clearly why is this happening, we each tend to develop a style of explaining to ourselves why it's happening. And very often, we get it wrong. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on the Inspire podcast today is Dean Becker, and Dean joins me from Radnor, Pennsylvania. And Dean is the founder and the CEO of Adaptive Learning, a training company focused on really building resilience and leadership skills at all levels. Dean, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bart. Thank you very much. Uh, Many people now are dealing with uh, you know, the fact that the world of work remains, you know, two and a half years into the pandemic, post-pandemic, whatever you want to say, remains a deeply uncertain place. <laughs> you know, what, w- how we're working, where we're working, you know, are we back in the office? Are we working on Zoom? Is it a mix? You know, does the nature of work change? I, I, I think it's fair to say that we're facing unprecedented uncertainty. And the reason I wanted to have you on, why I think it, this conversation is so timely as we continue to navigate this uncertainty, is you've done a lot of work on the impact of this kind of sustained uncertainty on people. And you've also done work on helping leaders build resilience uh, in the fate to navigate this. So welcome to the program. And let me just start by giving you kind of a quick carte blanche to tell us about adaptive learning, what you do. And then we can talk about this uncertainty because I think it's uh, it's so relevant. So what is your company focused on in, in, um, in the space? So first of all, just, just to give you a quick history and hopefully not to bore you to death with the history, but we started in 1997 by licensing um, intellectual property from the University of Pennsylvania Department of Psychology. This was Dr. Martin Seligman's work on resilience. So we started this company from scratch with evidence-based research-oriented training that was proven to help people feel better and do better in the face of adversity. So that's where we started. And over the years, we've created an assessment called the Resilience Factor Inventory that measures people across Mm -hmm. seven factors or strengths of resilience and training that in a a very skills-oriented way helps people, it it kind of inoculates people against the the pressures and stresses that drain resilience. Mm -hmm. And Look, the, the, and we started before all the neuroscience work started, but, but our work plugs right into it because we know that the brain, the human brain really craves certainty. The human brain loves predictability. It doesn't do well in the face of change, in the face of uncertainty, unpredictability. It sort of, you know, activates the, the old sort of reptilian circuitry right. where, we, where we start getting into fight or flee mode. And so... That, that's where our work started. And, and over the years, what we've done is to really focus in on and, and laser focus and adapt it to uh, what happens in the workplace. And honestly, for the last 25 years, there's always adversity. Mm-hmm. What we're facing in the last two and a half plus years 
is is just adversity um, a la mode, right. if you will. Right. <laughs> so it is different. And I think, you know, it's great that you have this historical perspective. You know, and I mean, I've been in the business world since for over two decades, but I feel it. But you're saying it is factual that the level of adversity we're facing is higher. Is that right? There's no question about that. And and I mean, if you look at all the work that's been done uh, around burnout, you know, your country person, uh, Jennifer Moss, you know, wrote a great book about uh, the burnout epidemic. And, mm-hmm. and her work basically shows that what's happening, the, the level of adversity, mostly driven by uncertainty, is wreaking havoc with our resilience reserves or resilience resources, because resilience really is, it's a capacity. I think of it as a fuel tank. And, and what tends to happen is that, that when we're being you know, constantly bombarded by change, uncertainty, amb- ambiguity, volatility, it tends to drain our tank, dr- drain mm. our reserves, which makes us much more susceptible to the stuff that our brains are doing, which is basically serving up things like frustration, anger, anxiety, you know, guilt, hmm. embarrassment, hmm. Uh, you know, sadness. Hmm. And, and, and what we've learned in our work is that uh, there are lots of individual differences. I mean, th- that's why, you know, I get frustrated watching people try to sort of paint with too broad a brush saying, okay, here's how we fix your, um, your burnout, or here's how we fix your ability to deal with uncertainty. Because, you know, every adverse for every adversity, there are as many ways to respond to it as there are people in the room. Hmm. And we, we find that over time, we each develop very predictable ways, emotionally, cognitively, to respond and, and react to stress, to uncertainty, to adversity of any kind. And that's really where our work focuses. I know when we spoke earlier, you also said not only is it draining your resilience, it heightens these, you know, I think what you described as signature emotions. I don't know if that's drawn from that research. Maybe what does that mean that heightens your signature emotion? So what, what our work has shown is that in response to let's keep let's call it adversity of any kind. And I, yeah. I'm lumping uncertainty in as one of the many uh, adversities or, or stresses okay. or challenges that we're all facing, both both at work and in the rest of our lives. And what our work shows is, especially when our resilience resources are low, we have a tendency to revert to mechanisms, cognitive mechanisms, think of them as filters that will lead us to respond with predictable default emotions. So I, I will right now out myself as, a, as an anxiety person at work. Mm-hmm. When I'm faced with high levels of uncertainty and my resilience is low, where I go is anxiety, but hmm. we're, and some other people go to frustration. Some go to anger. Some tune out, and hmm. and other people do other things. But the, what our work does is we take a step backwards because our work is is firmly um, based on the cognitive therapeutic model, mm-hmm. if you will. I don't want to overly uh, brand it that way, but but CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy has some ha- has some particular. Um, methodologies that, that we've over the years translated into skills. And, and what our work has shown is that you can very accurately map particular kinds of thinking to particular emotions. So as an example, when I feel anxiety, what I know from my own work is that it's because in the moment that I'm facing the adversity, let's call it uncertainty, mm-hmm. my brain is, is firing off with thoughts about future threats. What's mm. coming down the track to get me? So I've developed, we call it emotion radar. I've developed a way of sort of scanning the world 
for what's coming down the track to get me. And the problem with that is it may be overblowing the actual threat that's out there. It's kind of like the old Mark Twain uh, mm-hmm. saying, um, there, there have been many catastrophes in my life, some of which actually happened. <laughs> now, other people, <laughs> other people will respond to uncertainty with frustration. I just finished a course with 90 mid-level leaders in a global company, and, and they are facing massive levels of uncertainty. And frustration tends to be one of the predominant emotions mm. coming out there. Now, frustration tends to be caused by thoughts about lack of resources. Mm. What don't I have? So for people who have developed over their lives, and, and by the way, these thought patterns, we call them thinking styles, mm-hmm. develop at a fairly early age, as mm. early as age six, seven, eight, nine, they become set in stone over time. So if somebody's developed a lack of resources radar, they're going to be scanning the world for what they don't have. And if they're facing a situation that is truly resource constrained, they're going to be over responding. They're going to be getting more frustrated than the situation calls for. So basically what our work does is number one, helps people map the thinking to the emotion that they're feeling, which helps to make sense of it. Once they do that, it becomes very simple. Is this emotion serving me? Is it useful Mm -hmm. or is it hurting me? If it's hurting, we teach them a skill that helps them essentially in the moment, in their head, detune it, essentially go back and challenge the thinking that's causing the emotions that can get more centered and and get get the job done. Yeah. So just to kind of sum that up, you know, when you're when you're facing uncertainty, when you're facing these pressures and, and you're and as you said, you as humans, psychologically we have this desire for control. When it becomes more difficult to feel that we have control and we face change, it saps our resilience. And then whatever pattern, whatever emotional pattern, signature emotion, as you call them, um, that we've developed becomes more acute. Uh, you know, so it could be you feel uh, like you, you don't have the resources, you feel frustrated, whatever it is, it heightens. And then you also, because of this, you're not able to really see what you're dealing with, the actual problem you you kind of distort. And so all these things impact your ability to, to thrive. Am I right? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and you said it very well. Before we talk about how to deal with this, you know, I think we just bring this into a situation right now that, you know, when I've been doing the podcast this year, everyone's talking about this, you know, leading in this kind of return or semi-return or not return to work. Every manager... Every executive I talk about does not have a clear answer, A, on what the future of work looks like. We have broad, you know, different views on you've got to get back to the office five days a week. We've got to be in the office some of the time. We've got to, I was on my bike with one executive this morning at Deloitte. They said, you know, come in when you want, but come in with purpose. And then you have companies who are saying, don't come in at all. I mean, no one, the the only thing that's sure is everyone is certain that that they're away. So this is, you know, when I think about this unprecedented uncertainty, that filters into the employees and it filters into the managers. So if you're a leader, leaders listening to this who are starting to feel this uncertainty around how I lead, what I do, what I tell my people, what is this, what is the starting point? What should they be aware of, take kind of stock of how this emotionally is going to play out for them? Yeah. So my answer is going to be in two parts. The first part is is going to be based on research that we started doing back in the mid-2000s. 
And that research, just based on extensive testing of our uh, of our entire population of participants in our programs, which goes from frontline up through C-suite, is that resilience rises with level. Now that makes intuitive sense, right? But what we know is the causation is that resilience drives promotion. It's not like people get promoted mm-hmm. and say, oh, I'm hmm. feeling so resilient, right? It's the other way around. Hmm. Resilient people tend to move up faster. That creates a gap. And one of the things we have to do as leaders, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this today, because it's another whole uh, area mm-hmm. of subject. And that is um, that leaders need to first understand that they are more resilient than the people they lead. Their <laughs> tendency to go off the rails emotionally is going to be less, probably less than those of their people. One would hope. That said, <laughs> yeah, one would right. hope. One would hope. But but we know in, in dealing with leaders that that one of the things that all of this uncertainty is causing is is heightened emotional response, mm. much of which is not serving them well. So the first thing they need to do, look, building resilience is so much like building any other leadership competency, and that is it starts with self-awareness. Mm. Right? You have to you you my favorite audience is a group of leaders who I would call unconsciously incompetent. They know what they don't know. They know what right. they lack. And you and I know sometimes that's a that's a hard audience to, to locate, right? Right. As opposed to the ones who are the who maybe embody often wrong, never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so Dean, when you're when you're dealing with these pressures, when you're dealing with these emotions and you know that your people are going to be facing them even in the heightened level, where, what is the starting point as a leader to managing and leading through this if you're, for example, dealing with uh, hybrid work? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and of course, we all have to start with self-awareness, knowing what, knowing and being starting to be aware of, of what's going on for ourselves internally. But for leaders, what they need to do is more quick is get centered more quickly and, and test, essentially test. We have to become scientists, right? We have to test our thinking and test our emotions to make sure that, number one, we're getting it right. We're seeing what's happening as it's coming at us, not being too, too terribly filtered by, our, by our, uh, the habits of thought we've developed over time. And, and once we've done that, then we have to say, okay, is my emotional state helping me or hurting me? If it's hurting we need to then teach them a skill to quickly get back on track. And that skill is skill number one of the seven skills that, hmm. that, that Adaptive offers in our programs. And we call that trap it, map it, zap it. Okay, so, the, so just to sum up, begin with self-awareness. Recognize that you're, you're going to be in this heightened emotional state or your people will be in this heightened emotional state and, and recognize that you need to kind of understand how that may be shaping your your reactions to uncertainty and and from there you can build your skills to deal with it is that is that right well said yes okay so let's so i know you have seven skills i know we could do a whole pod on all seven if we had hours but what what are the two that you're going to highlight for us today (laughs) yeah i'm going to talk about um about the skill of trap it map it zap it because that's the first place to go to be able to to just get yourself um sort of centered both cognitively and emotionally. Okay, for, tell me about leader. this one. And, yeah. Why don't I just give you an, an, an actual example? Because I was just working through this with a, with a client, with a, uh, with a uh, participant in one of our classes. And, and what they were working through is leading through constant change. Mm. Uh, and basically what was happening for this person is the company 
and, and by the way, the company is actually a kind of a, a smush up of four organizations that they, that they pulled together in, in their effort to, uh, to grow quickly. So there's lots of cultural shifts and there's lots of, lots of dysfunction, <laughs> as you might expect. Uh, and, and so, but this person's specific issue was the company was adding new products and services or changing existing products or services and not communicating those to all teams at the same time, it was creating, you might know, a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And this person's, this person's signature emotion was frustration. Hmm. And, and, and what was happening to them is they would, it would cause them to overreact to the change and resist taking ownership of what they could hmm. and helping to move the hope to move the ball forward. So what, what this person did, they learned trap it, map it, zap it. Here's how it works. Trap it means be aware of the emotion that you're experiencing. For this person, it was frustration. Mm -hmm. They could feel it building. And they also tended to let a little anger bleed in. And the anger is easy to feel, right? It comes up through your toes and, and up through your body and out through your ears. But this person would sort of default to frustration. And what they realized was that they were seeing far less resource than was really there. So the map it piece, which is the second part of the skill, is mapping the emotion to the thought feed, to that uh, thought um, type that is driving it. And I said it a few minutes ago, frustration comes from thoughts about, la about lack of resources. So now the person knows they've trapped their frustration. They've mapped it to a thought about lack of resources. Zap it is really now about saying, okay, let me think about my thinking. Let me challenge my thinking. Hmm. Is it accurate? Hmm. All right. Is, it, is there counter evidence? Am I overreacting? So this zapid piece is the hardest piece because what we're doing there is in real time, we're, e we're either trying to, we're testing our thinking and we're either going to reframe it or we're going to uh, use a calming technique to keep ourselves from overreacting. So it really becomes anything from counting to 10 to really ask ourselves things like, really, Dean, are things really as bad as they, mm. as they look? Are things really as desperate as it feels that they are right now? And then the zap it is to say, okay, no. So what's really going on here is my emotion radar is pinging off for no good reason. And yes, there is true lack of resource, but here's one thing I can do about it. So essentially what we've done is is we've created reframing, but not what I will call empty-headed reframing. Mm. It's not putting the piece of tape over the check end. Right. It's acknowledging that things are going south, but not maybe as far south as my brain is telling me they are. And here's one thing I can do about it. So, so let's just take this into the situation. I imagine you can do this yourself, and you can also, as a leader, you can help people trap it, map it, zap it. So let, let's just imagine we're talking about getting your team back to the office two days a week, right? And so you have you have someone who, and you know from working with them that their signature emotion is anger. And so they, you say, you know, you have to go back two days a week and they say, I can't believe this. This is horrible. You're doing this to me. Uh, how dare you? Productivity's been high. This is, I'm not going to stand for this. So how as a leader do you help them trap it, map it, zap it? Okay. So, the first step is, the, the, you know, to, to be a good leader, you first have to follow. And, that, and that's what we've done so far. We've gotten the leader to essentially get themselves on track, right? And now they're going down a level. And they first of all have to assume, or at least ex 
expect the possibility mm-hmm. that this person is going to be less resilient than they are. Mm-hmm. So let's say, so now we've got an angry person. So what the leader knows now that they didn't know before is, look, this person's anger. Why are they angry? Because their emotion radar is pinging off and their emotion radar, their thought feed is about violation of their rights. Who has disrespected? Who's stepped on my toes? Who's trespassed? They, they now can use, and, and we put this out in, in a nifty little map. It, it's just a, a two-column map that says, okay, here's the emotion, anger. Here's the thought feed, violation of my rights. Mm-hmm. So now what they know, because we can't mind read, but we can emotion read. So the mm-hmm. leader is going to be seeing and experiencing the anger in their employee. And we encourage them then to start the conversation, not around, Oh, you know, Bart, you've really got to calm down. Right. The best way to get somebody more angry. I'll right? show you how to calm <laughs> down. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. So we want to say, so Bart, you know, obviously you, you, you believe that I or the situation is just, you know, violating your, your rights here, or it's that we're stepping on your toes. Can we talk about that? So suddenly the conversation mm. is now about their thinking. And, and with this in mind, the, the, the conversation can probably be de-escalated more quickly. And the great thing is it's a conversation. It's not an emotional battle. So you're not, what I'm hearing is you're, you're kind of, you're not telling them, you, you're not name, you're, you're helping them uh, trap the emotion themselves and then work with them through it <laughs> so that they can Bingo. see, see yeah, what's up. Right. Right. Because the worst thing to do with these skills is try to psycho, uh, psychoanalyze or, or be right. therapist to your. Uh, now, it's self serving for me to say this, but to my clients, I say the best way to deal with this is you, you leaders um, learn the skills, and then we will create uh, an experience of a training experience for your people, mm-hmm. and they can go through because now you have a common vocabulary. Right. Because now, uh, everybody is working from the same basic set of rules, same knowledge set. And once that's true, they can talk about it in a way that, that's very right. extremely non-judgmental. Okay, so we've got this first skill, trap it, map it, zap it. What's the mm-hmm. second skill you're going to take us through today uh, to build resilience? And, and this one gets a little bit more complex. I'm going to apologize in advance if this gets too conceptual, but but the next thinking style that we attack, we call Y style, W-H-Y style. And what we mean, and for those, for anyone listening who has a psych background, intro to psych, this is explanatory style. This is Marty Seligman uh, explanatory style that he started working on in the late, oh gosh, the mid to late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What this has to do with when something goes wrong, when, when adversity strikes, and especially when we don't know why, if we don't have enough data to connect the dots, to really explain mm-hmm. clearly why is this happening, we each tend to develop a style of explaining to ourselves why it's happening. And very often, we get it wrong. So this is another case of, of sort of cognitive inaccuracy that, that, that drives behavior and performance. I, I'm going to try not to go in, get too far into the weeds, but here's the thing. When something happens, we all have a tendency to, to first say, hmm, is this on me or is it on other people or circumstances? Mm-hmm. We call that dimension me versus not me thinking. Mm-hmm. Do I see this when, when the problem hits me? Do I see it as something that's sort of damage controllable and containable in terms of, of the amount of time it's going to last? Or do I see it as something that's going to be around for a long time? We right. call that always 
versus not always thinking. So, so, and just to, sorry, to jump into that one, you know, I think this situation around, you know, return to work that we're, we're talking about here and hybrid work, that's something where I think a lot of people are saying, I have no idea <laughs> how long this is going to last. I have right. no idea even if the solution that my company is proposing is going to stick. <laughs> so how does that tie to this why style? So, so that's where I'm going. Um, th- there is a third dimension of, of the why style, which is really all, uh, everything versus not everything. Do I have a tendency, absence the data, to see problems as being, let's call them pervasive, or do I see them as being very much uh, fixed? That's, mm. Again, every, or everything versus not everything. Per, uh, per, so it's either personal, permanent, pervasive, or not personal, uh, temporary and specific. Those are the two poles. Now, let me show you how that, what that boils down to. There are four very common Y styles. Um, the classic optimist, the realist, the pessimist, and the hothead. Hmm. And, <laughs> and this is for and, grounded and in psychology. It, <laughs> it is. It truly oh, okay. is. Now, the, again, the hothead is a, a, is a psychologically sound. So, <laughs> you know, here's, here's, we'll think about it. Here's, Here's the problem. That, that term is a little bit overstated. We just like it because right. we like the sound that's, of it. That's fine. Let me just step through this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, an optimist is someone who tends to see the problems that are facing them as not their fault, something that's going to be uh, temporary, and something that's not going to really bleed into other areas of their life. That's a not me, not always, not everything mm-hmm. thinker. They have a t- So on the positive side, the classic optimist is very will charge through challenges because it's not their fault. Mm. They'll go to sleep well mm. because the problem's going to be gone tomorrow. Mm. And by the way, the, uh, the, the two um, job types that tend to really um, fall into the, um, the classic optimist style are, do you want to guess who they might be? Uh, see, uh, salespeople? Bingo. That's number one. And number two, by the way, CEOs. Harder, you want to try it? CEO. You got it. Ha! Wow. Got it. Yes. Have you been in my classes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Salespeople and CEOs. Now, on the positive side, these people tend to be bulletproof to rejection. They don't take things personally. The problem is they will often, it, it takes them too long to, uh, to, 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 to get to accountability and to problem solve accurately. They tend to get blindsided by the bad stuff. They tend to minimize risk. Now, for CEOs, right? Because many CEOs have come through the sales track, haven't they? And and as a consequence, but they surround themselves by people who can help them, uh, who who can help keep them straight. So they use that that bulletproof, that 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 just boundless optimism to their benefit. Mm. But on the downside, as I said, it it can really be hurtful. Now, the pessimist is just the opposite. The pessimists tend to see most problems as permanent, pervasive, and their fault. Mm. They see bad stuff that's coming at them. It's going to be around for a long time. It's going to affect everything I do. And it's either my fault or I'm not worthy of being able to handle it. The hothead, by the way, is someone who sees the problems also as permanent and pervasive, but it's somebody else's fault. That's why they get so angry. Mm. There's this big problem. It's going to be around for a long time, affect everything I do, and it's your fault. Hmm. Right. And then finally, we have the realist and the realist says most of the stuff I'm dealing with is controllable and containable by me. Hmm. Now, here's the fact. Every one of those four Y styles can be inaccurate and that inaccuracy can get in the way. I've already talked about how it can affect salespeople. 
right? Most salespeople, you say, well, you know, Dean, why did you have such a bad quarter as a salesperson? Oh, it's my territory. Right. It's the sales plan. It's pricing. It's, it's product, competition. Right. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> exactly. But so, so we know the downside there. Uh, the, the hothead will tend to, and by the way, as, when, as leaders, we all have hotheads on our teams. They hmm. may not be sitting there, you know, with anger boiling out of their heads, but they're the people who sit there and they'll be your naysayers. They'll be the people who see every way that you're trying to screw them and everybody mm-hmm. else around them. Right. And, but, but, and then the pessimists are the people who, who, who default to sadness and, and self-blame and self-doubt. And, and then finally, we have the realists. And most of our leaders are going to be realists or optimists. Hmm. And that's an okay place to start. But the skill, by the way, around all this, we call the pivot process. And the pivot process is similar to the Taproot Method, but in that we're saying to people, okay, let me think about my thinking. Let me think about how I'm explaining it to myself. And is my explanation helping me or is it hurting me? Hmm. The problem with all this uncertainty is, is that we don't have enough data, right? Even mm-hmm. when, as we were talking earlier about leaders saying, come in two days a week, come in five days a week. We're making this up as we go along based on limited data, mm-hmm. right? So if we have a lifestyle that's driving us forward in a way that's not allowing us to think in a, in a more agile, adaptive way, we may stick with these experiments for too long, hmm. right? So if, if we're a, uh, who was it, Jamie Dimon months ago at, at the big U.S. bank saying, you know what, we're all coming back to work, everybody back in the office. Hey, how's that working out for you, Jamie? I mean, look, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's tough stuff. Hmm. It really is. But so, so lifestyle happens to be a very powerful, pervasive thinking style that can really get in our way. And by the way, I just want to point out that the pessimistic lifestyle mm-hmm. at, its, at its extreme, at the, at the edge of the pole, is a known risk factor for clinical depression and at the real extreme suicide. So this stuff really matters. Now we're not dealing with that in the workplace because we're all subclinical, but the right. fact is that, that we really need to number one, know the lifestyle and figure out how to fix it. We ain't going to do that in your podcast. But I think, yeah, no, it's going to be a bigger conversation than probably one that we're not <laughs> qualified to have. But what I'm taking from this is, you know, you just want to understand your style. I mean, I, I certainly would view myself as, in the optimist, you know, coming up and, and I came up in the sales side of our business. And, and so you understand mm-hmm. your style and then you'll understand again, much as we talked about your signature emotion, you understand how that's going to impact you in the face of resilience. Um, when your resilience is tested, when you're facing uncertainty. So I think, um, you know, what, uh, and obviously there are five more, uh, style or five more skills that you work on. We, we can't cover at length, but you know, what I'm right. hearing and what I'm taking away from this is, Look, you know, we're facing unprecedented and sustained uncertainty. And, you know, really, you know, the, the work that we've talked about has been related to this, you know, uncertainty and return to work and what the future will or won't hold. But it's really a broader theme. Yeah. And, and I'd like to draw a line under this, if I can, because one of the things we really see, and this is where the uncertainty is really hurting us. And I think what is leading us directly to, um, you know, behavior, behavioral changes like burnout is the fact that. Most of us leaders, as I said, are resilient. We're either optimists or realists. And the realist is really a realistic optimist, very similar style, right? But what happens is, and part of, the, part of the power of that style is we tend to see the problems we're dealing with as temporary and specific, not mm-hmm. always, not everything. Problem is, all this uncertainty can drive even the most 
resilient of us towards seeing the problems we're facing, the challenges mm. as endless, mm. as becoming more permanent and more pervasive. And the minute our thinking changes to more what we call always everything thinking, it's a very powerful drain on our resilience mm. because we're looking at it saying, you know what? I don't see this going away. Right. It will drag us down. It'll drag our people down more than it will drag us down, but it will drag us down. So again, this is where the, and we use these skills a lot, by the way, with executives in transition in career transition, because very often transition feels very permanent, even mm. though it's not. But when, when you're out of a C-level job for three months, for six months, as that happens, it starts to wear on us. Mm -hmm. And what we need to tell ourselves as leaders, right, in that situation, but going back to uncertainty, a hybrid, is this is temporary. Sometimes it feels like we're deluding ourselves by saying it's temporary. Right. But, yeah, it, it, it's not going to, there's no such thing as going back to the way it was, but it's not forever. This feeling of helplessness, this mm. feeling of uncertainty is not forever. We're in the midst of it. We're fixing it. We're changing it. But our thinking can get in our way. And if, if you and I can help just one person basically remind themselves, this is temporary. It's temporary, but leadership skills will be forever. So I think, you know, what I'm, I'm taking away is, you know, build that resilience, know yourself, know how your emotions can cause cognitive distortion, and then begin building these skills so that you can better navigate them and help your people navigate them. So Dean, really appreciate you coming on. Um, if people want to learn more, if people want to take a program, people want to start getting, uh, building their skills, uh, are there any books you'd recommend, any resources that you share on your site? Where can people start? And we can put them in our, our yeah, show notes. I, they, they can, right. They can certainly go to our site and they can use, I'm, I'm assuming you can put up a, um, give them a, a link. Yeah, we can a, put the uh, link for sure. I would also encourage anyone listening, it's a very simple thing to do, and that is to subscribe to our LinkedIn newsletter, because that's really where we've been putting our latest content. And if people start reading that, they're going to get uh, a real, a much more in-depth view of what we've talked about in this, in this short time together. But they're also going to be able to, uh, to again, drill into other uh, resources that, uh, that we've made available. And they can always come to us and, and sign up for a uh, for a program. And, and you know, again, self-serving, but I want to say that um, because of the pandemic, we we now offer all of our training globally mm -hmm. through a, a, a blended digital plus virtual live uh, sessions that honestly are more effective uh, in the long run than uh, than than live classroom based training. Well, yeah. we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And uh, I encourage everyone to check it out. You know, this this is just a taste of the great work that Dean and his firm do. So, Dean, thank you so much for being our guest today. Bart, thank you. It's my pleasure. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dean Becker of Adaptive. Uh, Dean really drove home that we are facing unprecedented strain as leaders and our teams are. And I think it demystifies how to that manifests. Uh, and then they provide a couple good techniques for beginning to move past it and kind of change your narrative internally. So really useful. Uh, next time on the pod, I'm joined by Craig Taylor. Craig is an executive, an entrepreneur. He joins me from Texas to talk about how his companies are, and he owns a few, 
trying hard to attract and retain talent in today's incredibly competitive environment. So super useful if you're trying to bring people on, deal with the great resignation and uh, keep the people you have engaged. I know you'll enjoy my conversation with Craig.